listening to ATN Perspectives. A uh, very warm welcome to ATN Perspectives. This is our second episode for 2022, and I'm your host, Luke Sheedy, the Executive Director of the Australian Technology Network of Universities. Please subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcast apps. I am absolutely delighted today to welcome our guest, Professor Harleen Hain, CNZM, Vice Chancellor of Curtin University. A very warm welcome to ATM Perspectives, Harleen. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Well, it's a great pleasure. And we're today in Canberra and it is a federal budget week. So for us, policy and political nerds, it's kind of the big game in town. In a regular year, it would be the big game in town, but actually it's the election, which we think is going to be called imminently. So it is certainly a pre-election budget that we've seen this week here in Canberra. Lots of spending. Unfortunately, not so much for higher education and research. The job for the ATN continues to make the case for our universities. But I wanted to first talk to you, Harleen, because it's been such a delight having you join the ATN network and see your leadership at Curtin. And I was so delighted to finally get out west a couple of weeks ago to see you all and your beautiful campus there and your beautiful city of Perth. You've been in Australia for nearly 12 months, a really interesting time to come to Australia. Uh, Certainly, we've behaved a lot more like uh, six states and two territories rather than a whole country over the last 12 months. So as an Australian, uh, my apologies for that. Uh, Global pandemics do all weird and wonderful things. But you've come from our closest country in terms of both geographically but also spiritually in New Zealand. How are you finding Australia firstly and what are your reflections on on what you've experienced and the differences between New Zealand and Australia so far? Well, you are correct. I still feel like a bit of a newcomer to Australia. Um, I arrived in the country on April 9th and I stepped foot on the Curtin campus on April 19th, which was my first day in the job. And it was the first time that I had ever been to Curtin because my entire interview uh, and selection process took place online. So coming here was a bit of a leap of faith. It's certainly been a leap of faith that has been really worthwhile. I often describe to my staff here that I feel like someone's handed me this beautifully wrapped gift. And every day I take off another layer of paper and I discover something really new and exciting inside. So, so far on the basis of almost a whole year, I've had a really great experience. Australia is a bigger country than New Zealand. And I've really enjoyed the vastness of Western Australia and I'm really enjoying the ambition of the Australian universities throughout the country. And in particular, I'm also really enjoying the relationship that I've established with my fellow VCs here in Western Australia. So, you know, despite the fact that it's a different country and they have a slightly different accent, many of the things are very familiar to me. Having been a vice chancellor for 10 years, Both the strengths and the weaknesses, the opportunities and the challenges for New Zealand and Australia feel very, very familiar to me. Oh, it's wonderful. And look, we are absolutely delighted to have you as part of the the ATN family. Obviously, you bring at least a contribution towards a different gender perspective at the VC level, if anything. But certainly your experience in New Zealand and, of course, uh, in North America is wonderful as well and that kind of perspective on international Reflecting on Australia's higher education sector, I know we've talked about this one-on-one, how are you finding that coming into a system? Because while we are similar countries to New Zealand, I think we have a very different system in terms of funding regulation. How's the adjustment been learning all the quirks of the Australian system? 
Well, the first thing that I've had to learn is that very few sentences in Australia actually include full words. So I've had to have a dictionary of of all of the abbreviations that we have for all of the things that influence us as university. So that's been a bit of a translation exercise. But to be honest, the system of funding universities in Australia is actually more similar to the United States than it is to New Zealand. New Zealand has just a single federal system where the money for the universities comes from the Commonwealth national government. Whereas in the United States, the system is much more like it is in Australia, where you have the states have significantly more power and some of the funding in the U.S. comes from the states, some of it comes from the feds. I do understand the state system, but it has been interesting trying to sort out the politicians from the various parties who represent the state and represent the Commonwealth, particularly since I can't travel. So I've had to do a lot of translation of of that political system, but it's one that I'm really enjoying. I mean, like you, I am a bit of a a political nerd. I do enjoy working with government officials and with politicians. I had lots of opportunity to do that when I was in New Zealand, both as the chair of Universities New Zealand and the chair of the uh, Universities New Zealand Research Committee. But I also um, was the chair of Fulbright. I was on the New Zealand National Science Panel and I served on the board of the New Zealand Treasury for five years. So I have had the opportunity to develop deep and meaningful relationships with both officials and politicians in New Zealand. And I'm really looking forward to that opportunity here in Australia as well. Yeah, and we absolutely, coming from the East, we look forward to introducing you through the ATN network and, uh, of course, to the decision makers in Canberra. It may very well be, Harleen, that come you know late May that we have a whole different administration here in Canberra. So that will bring its own opportunities and challenges. One thing we take a lot of pride on in the ATN is working with both sides of politics. You know, it is pretty much evident when you're one-on-one or two-on-one with a minister from any political party in Australia that forms government. There's a sincerity. There's an interest in changing Australia for the good, for the good of their constituents, but actually for the good of the nation. So we take pride on tapping the ATN into that and working out ways we can do business with all governments and all, all political parties. And I really value your experience in that from New Zealand. I look forward to having you out over in Canberra and other parts of the eastern states when we can. Obviously, it's a, 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 this is the Dorothy Dixer question for most of our guests on ATN Perspectives, but how are you enjoying your time working across the ATN network, our subgrouping of six universities? Yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed it. And because I have been locked down in Western Australia, I've really been limited in my opportunity to meet vice chancellors outside of the state. So being part of the ATN network has, has been a fantastic opportunity to have an introduction to at least one portion of the Australian university system. And I guess the other thing about the ATN that I've really valued is that my former university in New Zealand was a very different university than the one I'm leading right now. And one of the things that I really am proud about Curtin is the fact that it is very industry engaged and industry embedded. And of course, that common purpose is shared across the ATN um, network. So having the opportunity to learn the ropes from people who are leading similarly driven universities has been really fantastic for me. Look, it is great. And we have achieved quite a lot as a network over the last couple of years together. And I'm really confident that we can achieve a lot more. There is a strong push from the current government to 
turbocharge Australia's university research to make it more commercially viable and contribute to job creation and opportunity creation in Australia, which is fantastic. And we welcome that, which is a lovely segue into what we saw on Tuesday night with the federal budget. I'll give you my quick snapshot, Harleen, but very keen on your thoughts, um, both in terms of as a vice-chancellor, but someone's come into Australia and it's probably your second but first federal budget where you really had time to, to look at all the detail. We do have some good funding that's embedded into the federal budget for the Australia's Economic Accelerator and Trailblazer University. So that's fantastic to see, you know, more than $1 billion invested in our university capability is absolutely exciting. And we're also anxiously waiting the uh, announcement around which universities will be successful in Trailblazer. I have a lot of confidence that I'll see Curtin's name up there. And um, uh, it was great talking to all of your folk around the fantastic bid that Curtin's leading uh, for Trailblazer Universities. But we are eternally optimistic at the ATM, but I'll give you some of the realities of this budget. So no new direct funding for university research or education apart from what I've just talked about. There is an additional $1.3 billion for the Medical Research Future Fund, which is absolutely fantastic. $11 million over four years for additional medical places in rural Australia. And a significant $2 billion investment over five years, which the government's calling a regional accelerator program, which we know will include more money for additional trailblazer universities. We heard that this morning. That's fantastic. Over $100 million for that. And also utilising regional universities and education institutions to help drive the economies of regional Australia and productivity. So that's something that we are very supportive of and welcome. There are also lots and bits and bobs in the big federal budget and there's some key investment in areas like space, critical minerals and cybersecurity, which of course HN universities will work closely with the government on. But there still is some gaps. There's gaps in terms of participation. There's gaps in terms of how we fund our pipeline and discovery research. And that for us is concerning. And of course, we'll continue to work strongly with both sides of politics as we hit an election on that. What are your thoughts, Harleen? First, probably budget that you've kind of had a deep dive into and comparing it to what you've had in New Zealand. How do you feel about it? Well, I mean, I think from my perspective, there are clearly both strengths and weaknesses to the current budget announcement. So let's start first with the strengths. And you've mentioned some of them. Um, on the plus side, Curtin is certainly very, very happy with the previously announced funding for research commercialization. And you've mentioned the Trailblazer Fund. And we are very excited and very proud to be one of the finalists in the Trailblazer competition. And we look forward to hearing the outcome. Um, we're waiting with bated breath on the announcement about our Trailblazer commercial capabilities and resources, technologies, and critical minerals. So that's fantastic for us. And similarly, the Prime Minister was recently in Kalgoorlie, where I had some time to spend with him, where he announced additional funding for the Curtin-led University Department of Rural Health in the goldfields. And again, this initiative will make a huge difference to the health and well-being of people in that particular region. Curtin's brand new medical school has a, a very strong focus on training medical practitioners who will establish careers in rural, regional, and remote areas. And certainly the additional funding will provide us the opportunity to train allied health professionals in our Kalgoorlie Health Campus in collaboration with the Western Australia Country Health Service and the Royal Flying Doctors Service. So together, we really are poised to make a huge positive difference to the health and the well-being of uh, people in the goldfields. Um, we were also really excited about 
the funding for the Medical Research Future Fund. Curtin is currently building its medical research capability and particularly in the area of service delivery. So we look forward to taking advantage of that. And certainly we will be bidding for some of those new medical places because as I've said before, the focus of our medical school is really around regional, rural and remote. So those are all the pluses. But obviously there's, you know, with any good news, there's always some bad news as well. And so in terms of the downside of the current budget, as a country, we still need more investment in discovery science because we really do have to secure the pipeline for future commercialization activities. I think about this because I am still actively a researcher. And so not only is, do I look at these things as a vice chancellor, but I also think about how budget decisions would influence my own research career. And, you know, the first part of my research career was very much embedded in basic investigator-led discovery science about memory development. And, you know, I spent the better part of 15 years studying the basics of how memory emerges from infancy through to adolescence. The second half of my career, however, has been using that knowledge to develop better practices in clinical psychology, in the law, and in education. And my students and I have been working very hard to find new and better ways of helping children to use their memories in the clinic, in the courtroom, and in the classroom. Now, that work has been really important. It's changed the lives of many children, but it would have been completely impossible had the first 15 years of that discovery pipeline not happened. So I experienced this quite personally, that I am highly committed to using our research to solve real problems, whether it's creating commercial activities or increasing service delivery or finding new ways of educating children. But we can't kid ourselves into thinking that we've got all the answers now and we simply need to find new ways of applying them. So I think we do need to work collectively with government in helping them to understand that discovery uh, research is really important across not only the sciences, but also the humanities in allowing us to achieve the ambitions that we have. So that's about research. But there are some also some funding issues that I have come to understand about the complex way in which education is funded in Australian universities that lead to some what I perceive as rather unintended consequences. And I'm not sure if government fully understands the way in which some of their decision making it will be influencing not only the behavior of the universities, but also the kind and number of people that we can train for the workforce. So let me just give you a couple of examples to illustrate this. And I've been spending a lot of time talking about some of the unintended consequences of the Job Ready Graduate Package. Um, not only at my university, but also with a number of our stakeholders who, who are similarly confused about some of the decisions, how they were made, and are concerned about their impacts. Yeah, and on that, Harleen, I mean, I think it's an incredibly complicated way to fund teaching and learning activities in our universities. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there are many vice chancellors that wouldn't like to admit that they probably don't understand how complicated it is. And, and I appreciate that you've gone through the detail and, and now understand how weirdly complicated it is. So it is incredibly difficult to just ascertain how the whole thing works. And then once you realise how it works, you realise that we do have some, some fundamental flaws in it. So very keen to hear about your perspectives on that, particularly coming fresh to it. 
Yeah, so I guess, you know, if you look at the relationship between workforce shortages and the way in which universities are funded to train particular kinds of students, in WA, for example, we have huge shortages in our healthcare system. We are short on doctors, nurses, and midwives, and, you know, the state government made an undertaking to put a clinical psychologist in every school in Western Australia, uh, which has been absolutely impossible for them to achieve. Now, Curtin is obviously trying to respond to these workforce shortages, but when we do, we come up against these unintended consequences of the Job Ready Graduates funding package. So using those healthcare areas as just one example, once we reach our cap in nursing, for example, we receive only the student component of our funding. So we need to train a nurse for $3,700 a year once we have reached the cap. And that doesn't begin to cover the cost of the teaching, the placements, the internships, etc. And despite the fact that Western Australia is crying out for more nurses, it's, it's actually financially impossible for us to produce more than we are currently producing because of the cap. And exactly the same problem occurs for clinical psychologists. We are still, if once we reach our cap, we must teach those clinical psychologists for $3,700, which again, doesn't cover the cost of the teaching and the internships, the clinical placements and the facilities. So we've gotten ourselves into an invidious position where exactly the kinds of students we need and the state needs, and I, and I suspect that these workforce shortages are not unique to Western Australia. I'm sure that they exist throughout Australia. While we're crying out for people to work in these areas, the funding system has actually made it financially non-viable for the universities to produce more students and more graduates in these particular areas. So we really look forward to working with whatever government wins the election to explain and work through some of these unintended consequences and find new ways of going forward. Um, if we also just look at the total funding for you know, nursing and allied health, that funding dropped by eight to nine percent under the job ready graduates package. And in science and engineering, which again, we're experiencing huge workforce shortages in Western Australia and the rest of Australia, funding declined by 16 percent. So we do have some really big problems to solve with respect to meeting the country's voracious appetite for certain kinds of graduates and the funding that the universities receive in training those workers of the future. Harleen, I really have to congratulate you on having one of the most cogent and pithy ways of explaining some of the shortcomings of the Job Ready Graduates Package because I described it as a beast in a podcast the week after it was uh, announced uh, with Claire Field. But it really is a beast. And what it does, all, uh, these unintended consequences are absolutely problematic. And I think Curtin, like all of the ATN, are driven by equity and participation. So we are taking students where there is need, both in terms of the individual student's choice, but of course the needs of our local communities, our state and our nation. And that is a challenge when we are only getting such a marginal amount to teach a student. It wouldn't cut it in the school system. It certainly wouldn't cut it in the, in the TAFE or vocational education and training system. But driven by equity, we have been in a position where particularly ATN universities, above all, really, above most of the other universities in Australia, students are attracted to us. We've got strong links with the world of work and employability and students are coming to us. But we really do want to start that conversation. And it reminds me of 
some of the work that we've done to do that in the election pre-positioning. Of course, in the last couple of weeks, we've released two major pre-election statements in partnership with others, I think, because to, to create more impact. Firstly, we, of course, we put the joint statement with the IRU, the Innovative Research Universities, to argue that, yes, there is a skills problem in Australia, but we don't have an, an adequate funding pipeline of, of university places to meet that demand. And equity and participation is unfinished business. If you take Western Australia and South Australia, they don't have the same rates of participation in higher education. Yes, in WA, for a long time, you've had more opportunity in terms of jobs, particularly in the, in the minerals and resources sector. But from an equity argument, you know, we can't say job done. We can't just say, yep, we got to 40% job done because the distortions are there, right? And it is an, a socioeconomic divide. There are, it is five times more likely for someone in the North Shore of Sydney to get a university degree than it is for someone uh, in the outer skirts of the suburbs of Brisbane or Perth or Adelaide. So these things need to be fixed and addressed. And I'm really, really proud of the work that we've done with Curtin and the IU to put that on the agenda. And then similarly, from an economic point of view with the AIG, the Australian Industry Group, putting this argument that in the short term needs for skilling up Australia, if we focus on the domestic supply first, we absolutely need to ensure that there's adequate funding for those places, that the funding's also fit for purpose, Harleen. And we're taking some of these specific disciplines, you know, the, the Jobs Ready graduates actually cut the overall subsidy, both in terms of the student contribution and the grant amount, for courses that are critical for our nation's success. Engineering comes to mind. Health sciences comes to mind. We are going to have to work really closely with government to fix some of those, as you said quite rightly, unintended consequences of that original package. While, yes, it may have stimulated demand in certain areas, we've got a lot of work to do. And I'm really pleased to have you with us across the 18 Vice-Chancellor's table and to work with us and work with government on that because we're not making an irrational argument to government about just give us more money. We're actually saying this is a compact. We will deliver what the country needs. We will deliver the research. If you give us the right settings to do the discovery-based research, it'll lead to research commercialisation and job creation. If you give us the right amount of funding in the right places, in the right disciplines, we'll give you the graduates that the country needs. And of course, complemented by the excellent work we do educating students from right across the globe as international students in Australia. And of course, in Curtin's experience, both offshore as well. So lots to think about. I think the budget just reiterated some of those messages that we've already put out there, Harleen, and job yet finished, which is, you know, that's it's sobering, but it, it means we've still got a big job to do post-election, whoever the minister may be and whatever political party they might be from. So... I'm delighted to have you as part of that um, discussion and I know that you'll make a really great contribution. We really can't wait to see you out east and the sun has just come through. Maybe you've like us just talking today, the sun has come through shining here in Canberra today. Just final question before we wrap up and what do you see for, for Curtin? You've been there for a year. There's a, a fantastic new strategy that I was talking to lots of your team about a couple of weeks ago. So where do you see Curtin going and, and what are the opportunities and challenges and how can ATN help? Well, I mean, I think for me, one of, one of the things that I have really enjoyed since coming to Curtin is the very outward facing way in which this university has positioned itself. You know, in a very short period of time, you know, we haven't been a university for all that long, uh, but the university has really made a commitment not only to, you know, educating the next generation of doctors and lawyers and accountants and teachers and engineers, 
But it's also really making a commitment to nurturing the next generation of citizens and leaders. And so, you know, part of our new strategy is really about that holistic education for our students. You know, we recognize that we are a major contributor to the workforce of Western Australia, of Australia and the rest of the world. But we also think our mission is bigger than that. And so part of our new strategy will be building in other nurturing activities for our students so that they're really prepared not only for the world of work, which they already are, but also for the world more generally. So we're, we're really excited about that. And I think we're also committed to the fact that, you know, universities are one of the most powerful organizations on the planet for positive social and economic change. And I think Curtin really has the ambition and the enthusiasm to really grab that opportunity by the shoulders and give it a really good shake and finding ways that we can continue to produce the workforce of the future, where we can continue to use our outstanding world-class research to solve the problems that are faced by our communities, our country, and the rest of the world. And we're doing this in partnership. You know, we're doing it in partnership with our other ATN colleagues. Um, in our Trailblazer, for example, we're doing it in partnership with industry. You know, we've gathered together more than 30 industry partners who've committed more than $90 million to working with us um, in the resources space. So Curtin is a really great partner. And I'm hopeful that once I get out of Western Australia, that partnership will extend to other parts of the country as well, as Curtin continues to, to not only do good in Australia, but also in the parts of the world where we have our other global campuses. You know, we are, we're not only an Australian university, we are an Indian Ocean Rim university with campuses in Malaysia, Singapore, Dubai, and Mauritius. And more than anything, um, the border opening will provide me the opportunity for the first time in a year to visit those parts of the world where Curtin is also making a positive difference for the people in the communities in those places as well. Harleen, it's been an absolute delight to have you on ATM Perspectives. And it just reminded me that, you know, Curtin doesn't have to look east. It certainly needs to look west as well. And having just come back from a wonderful trip to Perth, I did think, well, why would you want to leave? This is paradise. It's an absolutely beautiful city. Uh, it's a beautiful, wonderful university. And it's so wonderful to hear about your vision to strengthen Curtin. And, you know, you are such an iconic part of the ATN family. And it's been great talking to you today. And I look forward to further discussion in the future. Thanks for joining us on ATN Perspectives. Thank you very much, Luke. Have a great day. Please subscribe to the ATN Perspectives podcast via all channels like Spotify, Google and Apple.